Welcome to the e-commerce podcast with me, your host, Matt Edmondson. The e-commerce podcast is all about helping you deliver e-commerce wow. Now I am stoked, properly stoked with today's guest who is Tim Jordan from Private Label Legion. And we're gonna chat about how to choose a winning product idea every single time. And you know what? There is some serious out of the box thinking going on here in this conversation. But before we get into it, let me give a quick shout out to some of our past guests and episodes. And given that we are talking uh, about how to you know, find these winning products, uh, I thought it would be great to mention our first podcast, which was uh, called How to Sell Personalized Products Through Dropshipping with Brian O'Donnell. Now this guy, was an absolute legend, talking about maps and all kinds of things that work super, super well. Again, out of the box thinking, personalized products. Podcast number two to check out uh, was a great conversation with Maureen Mwangi uh, from Startup to Growth is the title of that podcast. And Maureen, if you've been following her on Instagram, recently got married. So a huge congratulations to Maureen. Uh, and I hope the early months of marriage have been fantastic for you. Now. This episode is brought to you by the e-commerce cohort, which helps you to deliver e-commerce well to your customers. Now, I'm sure you've come across a bunch of folks stuck with their e-commerce business, or maybe even siloed and just to, you know, working in one or two areas and forgetting the whole big picture of e-commerce. It's what I did and it nearly cost me everything. Uh, and I wish I had the e-commerce cohort around at this point because it solves this particular problem. Uh, the e-commerce cohort is a lightweight membership group with guided monthly sprints that cycle through all the key areas of e-commerce. The sole purpose of the cohort is to give you, uh, my e-commerce friend, uh, clear actionable jobs to be done so you know what to work on, when to work on it and get the support you need to get it done. So whether you're just starting out, whether you're just launching a new business, if you are, by the way, do check out e-commerce cohort because they've got a very special startup sprint just for you when you join. Uh, and if like me, you've been around for a while, you just jump straight in, just jump straight in with the main cohort and enjoy it and enjoy what comes out of it. Uh, if you want to know more about it, check it out at ecommercecohort.com. Uh, it's gearing up for its founding member launch. It is almost there, you can taste it. Uh, so do check it out, take advantage of the very special offers. And of course, if you've got any questions about Cohort, just email me directly at matt at ecommercepodcast.net. I would love to answer any questions that you have because let me tell you, I'm super proud of the e-commerce cohort. All of that said, grab your notebooks, grab your pens, grab your cup of coffee, because you're not gonna to wanna to miss this conversation with Tim Jordan. Well, I am here with Tim Jordan, who is a serial entrepreneur and e-commerce expert. He has developed multiple online brands as well as having helped hundreds and hundreds of other sellers through training and coaching. In other words, a good guy to have on the show. Yes, he is. He is also the host uh, of the popular AM PM podcast, which I've been on. And you should definitely check it out. Not because I've been on it, but because besides me, it is a really good podcast. Uh, Tim also works as an executive strategist. That's not easy to say. An executive strategist uh, for many service based companies in the e-commerce industry. Um, he is an outside of the box thinker specializing in subjects such as product research, brand development and all that sort of good stuff. So I thought it'd be great to get Tim on the show to talk about this whole stuff to do with products and finding good products. Tim, thank you for joining us. Great to have you, Bert. How are we doing? I'm good, but I feel like that intro was too generous. Well, you know, we, we, it's, it's always good to big up your guests, right? Set the expectations right. high. I should be guests more often. <laughs> yeah. Way to feel good about yourself. Just come on the podcast and listen to the intro. I always feel whenever I go on other people's shows, I'm always the same way. I'm like, that's a really nice thing for you to say. And thank you. And I'm, I'm just feeling pretty good now about my life. So I uh, appreciate that. Hey, listen, how was Paris? Paris was good, but it was exhausting. I was uh, there in Paris at a private castle for a, um, 
a very high level e-commerce mastermind, but it was one of, I think four stops on one big road trip. So I was in Missouri, then Paris, then London. Then I spent about a week in New York city before I came home. So it's all a giant blur. I will say Paris was the best location that I was at in the entire road trip. Uh -huh. Um, it's really hard to beat a private castle in, in North <laughs> And what were you doing in a private castle? I mean, I saw the photos on Instagram, so I was following along. But um, yeah, what were you doing there? Yeah, so, you know, high-level masterminds happen all the time in, in any industry. And in the Amazon space, there's almost this game of one-upmanship between these mastermind coordinators where they, of course, bring in great speakers and they bring in really high-level content. But the venue right now is what everybody wants. So okay. we found a private castle and rented this whole castle that was the, the construction started in like 900, the year 900, very, mm -hmm. very old. Um, at the same castle, it was the private hunting lodge of Henry VIII and Louis Seventh and all of these historical kings. This was their private hunting castle. So it's pretty neat. Wow. So you had a big time is what you're saying. Yeah, we had a good time. Oh, good, man. Good, good. So how did you... Um... I mean, pre-French chateau, uh, uh, you know, um, how did you get started in the whole e-commerce aspect of things? I mean, what how, what was the starting point to get you to the French castle? Well, it was completely by accident. I was a full-time firefighter and paramedic for a number oh, okay. of years and was consistently looking for side hustles, some side mm -hmm. income, because we would work 24 hours and then we would be off for 48 hours. So we mm -hmm. essentially worked two days a week. And I eventually got into government procurement for the U.S. State Department. So I was supplying products to the U.S. government and learning how to source products, learning how to ship products. And we were shipping stuff all over the world. And eventually I realized I had some incredible pricing on wholesale products. And I thought, well, these things that sell for $30 on Amazon, I can buy them for $3. Oh, wow. But I didn't even know you could sell on Amazon. So I put a Craigslist ad. I don't know in the U.K. if you know what Craigslist is. Yeah, but it's yeah. terrible. Yeah put a Craigslist ad out for someone to teach me how to sell on eBay. And some guy walked in the office as a response to my ad. And he said, well, you need to learn how to sell on Amazon. And he started teaching me and, and uh, things went really, really fast. But I also realized that I was kind of sitting on a one-legged stool, so to speak, because yeah. I was selling these wholesale products for a couple of years, doing tremendous numbers and really good profit margin. But at any time, my supply chain could have shut down. Mm -hmm. So I started walking down this path of now that I understand how to sell, a little bit of how to sell. I had a lot to learn. And I understood that there was a willing audience that was ready to come to these platforms and buy things. I want to figure out how to put my own products and my own brands on them. And um, things just went from there. So I ended up owning a sourcing and shipping company. I've done some huge collaborative content with other people. Um, I've gotten to go to basically every conference it seems like there is out there and listen to all these great speakers. I've made a lot of mistakes myself with brands. Mm -hmm. I've had a few successes. But because I had a shipping and sourcing company and a 3PL company, I saw a lot of products come across my dock and mm -hmm. I would notice what was moving fast and what wasn't. And the things that seemed to be the hottest sellers on Amazon were actually the things that I would end up liquidating for my clients. They wouldn't move. So I started to pick up this like almost like a fallacy, which is that the hottest selling items on Amazon are what people want to be selling. And mm. I started venturing into this world of, well, how do I find the fidget spinner before everybody else finds the fidget spinner? Mm -hmm. Am I the first one to launch this now saturated product? And it, it took me a while. You know, I, I spent a lot of time walking through markets like Iwu and Canton Fair in China and comparing the difference between what was hot there versus what wasn't even on Amazon. And then figuring out that the hot sellers on Amazon weren't necessarily what I needed to sell, but the things that people were looking for on Amazon and weren't there were the things I want to sell. So I started learning to instead of looking up sales volume of existing products, start looking at search volume for keywords. And then I came to this realization that we don't sell products on a marketplace. We sell keywords on a marketplace and things just kind of spiraled from there. So like you said in the beginning, I am an outside of the box thinker, um, but it usually comes after a lot of mistakes. I'm pretty stubborn. I had to do a lot of things the <laughs> wrong way and then started figuring out, hey, there's a different way of doing things. And that kind of, kind of started to, to move me in a direction of being somewhat of a thought leader on this topic. Mm. That's really interesting. I, I, I totally vibe with the whole stubborn thing and, you know, you've got to make the mistakes to, to figure it out. Uh, yes, uh, I, 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 that's me right there. Um, and it's interesting because, I mean, just going right back to it, I've not been a firefighter, but I have, I have done my fair share of time on an ambulance uh, and, you know, helping to deal with sick people, um, uh, which, is, which is always, always just fond memories for me. Um, 
but what what fascinates me in that is you you in your journey is you talked about how there's this fallacy that what's hot on Amazon is what people actually want to buy outside of Amazon. Um, and obviously you quickly realized that it's not. Did I understand right that you said that you had clients um, with container loads of product that they were liquidating, but they were some of the best sellers on Amazon at the time? Well, yes, but I, maybe the maybe the point that I miscommunicated was that the reason they were having to be liquidated is because they weren't selling. Right. So the fallacy was, and it was a lot of training that led people down this route, but go to Amazon, figure out what everybody else is selling really well. Try to tweak your listing a tiny bit to outcompete them and you should sell it well too. Yeah. Well, the problem is all these products become saturated. And I think mm -hmm. that the reason people do that is because we're human, mm -hmm. right? We are just humans and we are scared to jump into something that's unknown. So the analogy I've used before is a cliff, right? If I walk up to the edge of a cliff and there's water at the bottom of the cliff and it's a hundred feet high and this cliff is long, right? Let's say a half mm -hmm. mile long cliff down to the water and everybody is jumping off of one spot and you watch them jump off and they land and they come to the top and they're happy and they're laughing and they climb back up and they do it again. Out of that half a mile long cliff, if everybody's jumping in one spot, what spot do you want to jump out? Yeah, yeah. You want to jump in that same spot because you know it's safe. You don't know if there's rocks at the bottom. You don't know if there's dangers at the bottom. You, you don't have any idea what the conditions are in those other places. So we jump off the same part of the cliff as everyone else because it seems safe. And we do that, or for a long time, we have done that with a, a lot of different businesses even. Like, like you could branch this into any type of businesses, but specifically in picking the product that you're going to sell, we look at what's safe. So if everybody's selling weighted hula hoops, okay, there's a lot of demand. It's obvious that a lot of people are selling these. I should sell these too. A lot of people are selling, you know, whatever the product is. It seems safer because there's already social proof, right? People are proving that it works. Yeah, yeah. Now, what you don't see is that there's 800,000 people trying to sell that same product and you're looking at the top 20. So what I started thinking was instead of just randomly going and jumping off another piece of the cliff and having that to myself, what if there is a way to test the waters, mm -hmm. right? What if there is a way to figure out that the water at the bottom of this other section was, uh, the section of the cliff was safe. And then you could jump off of it with relatively low worry. And the things that we do to find those products that are relatively safe, even if there's not a lot of social proof that it is, are things like checking demand. So there's demand for this specific product that's not on there. That's good indicator. This is great. Find what's trending off of Amazon. Find products that are blowing up all over social media or all over Google or all over Pinterest. And take those ideas that are, that are very popular in those areas and then confirm that there is demand for them on Amazon through keyword search volume, but very little to no competition. So yeah, there might not be a lot of sales history proving that this product will sell well, but mm -hmm. we use other evidence to prove that people want it. And if I get it up there, it should be good. And it's tough because maybe, maybe you find a product that's very popular on social media and there's one seller on Amazon, but it's not selling well. Well, don't just assume that yours wouldn't sell. Look at it. Is it priced mm -hmm. too high? Is it a crappy listing? Are they consistently out of stock? Are they running PPC? And a lot of times what I find is that this one product that's selling marginally well is three times the price that it should be. They're out of stock 80% of the time. Uh, they've got one listing image. They're, they're not running PPC, nothing. And that's actually a good thing because people will then look at that and say, oh, it must be a crappy seller because this person's done it wrong. And the way I look at it is if they're doing it wrong, I can do it right. But I have all this other evidence to support that people want this product. If yeah. it's a good price, if it's a good listing, if it's a good quality, and if I can keep it in stock. So the product you mentioned a minute ago was fidget spinners, uh, which again made me smile uh, because I, I, if it wasn't that long ago, someone came to me and said, Matt, I've got a container of fidget spinners. How am I yeah. going to offload these? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I just don't know. The land. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, you're not going to sell them. That's for dang sure. Uh, you, you caught that wave way too late, Ray. Um, so I, 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 I get what um i get what that looks like this was a product that was in high demand and very quickly there were eight hundred thousand sellers all trying to sell the same product for the same price the same methodology on amazon or on their websites or, or wherever they were and it became super competitive and so um to use your cliff analogy it's like if there's twenty thousand people waiting to jump in that one spot you're going to jump once every now and again aren't you you're, you're yeah. not going to get your, your, your it's time safe in. but you got to wait in line yeah, exactly. And so the, the volume is going to be low. 
So have you, do you have an example of a product that um, that you've worked with that's that's the you know the fidget spinner before it sort of took off? How did you how did you well, find that? I'll even talk about the fidget spinner. The first time I saw one of those fidget spinners was not on Amazon. It wasn't when my kid brought one home from school. It was in Ewu, China. Mm-hmm. So I used to go around this market and just it's an amazing place. When China opens back up, I can't wait to go back. Mm-hmm. But as I'm walking through this market in Iwo China, all of the vendors were playing with these things. They had them, they were spinning them in their hand. They were telling me, this is a hot seller. People want these, you should buy these. And they're giving me samples. And I'm even walking around the market playing with these things. I can't stop. So I went back to my hotel and I checked Jungle Scout, right? At the time mm-hmm. I was using like, I call it the quote unquote Jungle Scout method of selling, meaning I would look at existing sales volume. Mm-hmm. So I went to Amazon and I figured out this thing was called a fidget spinner. And like I found one listing and that one listing had poor sales. It was a crappy listing, poor sales. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, everybody here says it's a hot item, but they're wrong because on Amazon, it's not a hot item. There's one crappy seller and he, he barely sells any. Mm-hmm. If I could go back to that time and know what to look for then, mm-hmm. what I know to look for now, which is search volume. Mm-hmm. What I probably would have found is that 60 or 70,000 people a month were searching for that product. But the only reason there was one seller is because everybody else was out of stock or nobody knew there's a demand or that crappy seller wasn't keeping them stock. They didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. And I could have realized that I was in that golden hour where everybody wanted it. Nobody could get it, but nobody realized people wanted it. Right. And yes, it became a saturated product. I wouldn't have sold it forever. But what if I could have been one of the first on Amazon? Mm-hmm. All I had to do was keep my position for the first year in organic sales and I'd own Fiji right now, right? Like I, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. Um, so that's when I started realizing like this quote unquote Jungle Scout method, not just picking on Jungle Scout, but but they used to teach, you know, when they came out, they said the way you sell on Amazon a product is you go and see what else is selling well and mm-hmm. you replicate it. Like that was the Jungle Scout method, still is really. Yeah. And And I just think that's a problem. So then I took that kind of, idea of the the fallacy of the fidget spinner and i started trying to figure out how else can i find this early my next my next one that i found in ewu that was actually a success was i started just walking around these markets canton fair ewu and just documenting products they might not be products i knew anything about they might not have been something i'd ever seen before they might not be something that were even in a niche that i was selling i was just filling up a catalog in fact i don't know if you can see me on video but i think i have So I used to take people to China all the time in groups. Yeah. I haven't pulled this thing out in years. And what I would do is I would give everybody a notebook like this. And this notebook was literally just to document products. So I put a sticker in it that was a cheat sheet, how to avoid things, what to avoid. And in this notebook, I would walk into vendors. Const- I, ha- I really haven't picked this notebook up in like five years. I would walk <laughs> into these vendors and I would write down the different items that I had and I would put their business card on it. So this is just ideas. So rustic ladders, rough pricing. Um, I put their business card, Chinese chestnut sticks and rustic ladders. That doesn't really mean anything, but I could do that really, really fast. And then what I would do is I would fill these notebooks up with 500 product ideas. And then I would go back, sit on my computer, attach keywords to the product ideas and see if there's keyword demand. That item rustic ladder, that's not the item I was going to mention. But that was one of my best sellers on Amazon. I would sell these rustic blanket ladders that were like six feet long. Everybody yeah. said, don't sell oversized items. They were massive. I was like the only guy on Amazon for like two years selling these things. And they were a massive seller. So I got the product idea just by looking at something going, this is interesting. What is it? Let's find a keyword that attaches to it. See if there's keyword demand. And I sold a mountain of those things. <laughs> um, there was another product that I did well on, which I was just walking through the hardware section, just picking stuff up. And my rule is if I pick it up and look at it, I document it. I don't know what mm-hmm. it is, but if I picked it up, it must've caught my eye. And I picked up these, these D, these huge D ring shackles. Okay. They were stainless steel. It's like a, looks like a D and it's got a pin that goes through and screws in. Yeah, it's yeah. like used for like lifting things or for like mm-hmm. truckers. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is cool. I'm playing with it. It's nice stainless steel. It's like a dollar. So I throw that in my notebook. And when I was going through and looking for different ways to use those things and keywords, I didn't even see it on Amazon, but I saw that off of Amazon, those things were a big item on Pinterest in the front bumpers of Jeeps. So everybody that has a Jeep Wrangler has two little tow hooks mm-hmm. and they were taking those D rings and just hanging them there because they look cool. 
Okay. So what they're doing is going to the hardware store and buying these things. And I thought, well, this is weird. So I tracked this for like two or three weeks. And when I would type like stainless steel D-ring on Pinterest, it was pictures of Jeeps. Mm -hmm. I would type it on YouTube and it's videos of people putting them on Jeeps. When I went to Amazon, it had nothing to do with Jeeps. It was just stainless steel D-rings for hardware use. So I literally bought a half a container of these things, which by the way, is very heavy. Didn't realize that. And uh, <laughs> I didn't have a forklift big enough to lift these pallets out of the container. No I way. rent a forklift that day. I brought them in and I literally just changed the listing up for Jeep Wrangler bumper D-rings. And then I did like different colored versions. So like a bright red one or a bright white mm. one to match the color paint scheme. I probably sold 40,000 of those stupid D-rings. And I never would have even known that was a use for them unless I had found the product, picked it up, said, what is this? And yep. then went and found what was trending off of Amazon and then was the first to launch it on Amazon under that purpose. Yeah. That's really fascinating. So there, I, I guess uh, I, you've kind of preempted one of my questions here because it was, I was curious to know where you got your inspiration for products from, because you, you mentioned a couple of times the markets in China. And I was curious to know outside of that, where could people go to get inspiration? But then you talked about the hardware store. So in reality, there's inspiration everywhere. Is that fair? Yeah. So there's online and offline places. I love offline places because I like getting around, picking stuff up. Um, you know, uh, seeing what other people are doing. So for offline, I love the trade shows in China. So Iwu and Canton Fair. Mm -hmm. I'm going back to India this October on a sourcing trip where we're going. I went there in 2019 to like the home and handicraft show. It's the mm -hmm. biggest in the world in Delhi, India, like thousands and thousands of vendors of some of the nicest home decor and like, like handicraft products you've ever seen. And I'll walk around and last time I was there, I literally found products I'd never seen, didn't know what they were. I had to like use Google to figure out the keywords, realize mm -hmm. these were in demand and there was no none on Amazon. And the US, I love going to trade shows like ASD, which is in mm -hmm. Vegas, or I love going to the toy fairs, or I love going to the um, like the home show in Atlanta. Now, when I go into these trade shows, I don't have the same typical method that people typically do for trade shows, which is walk in and try to buy wholesale and resell it. No, I'm just looking for inspiration for product ideas. Okay. Because the people in those trade shows that have brands, they're doing the research already. Mm -hmm. I don't need to do research to know what's trending. All I have to do is walk around and look at their booths. If there's a booth of people that are selling plush, plush animals or toys, I know that in that booth, they are prioritizing the real estate that they have. The front shelf that's eye level is what they think is the highest value real estate in their booth. Mm -hmm. So I look at that spot and say, what are they prioritizing? And if they sell stuffed animals, I don't ever want to sell stuffed animals. But out of all those variations, I realize what they're prioritizing. And it's, oh, they're prioritizing koalas and narwhals. You know what a narwhal is, Matt? I have no idea. I, I know what a koala is. The is unicorn but... of the sea. It's that whale with like a big unicorn horn. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So like two or three years ago, I was walking around at ASD, plush toys. And like every single plush toy manufacturer was focusing on and prioritizing those narwhals. Now, this is so bizarre. Well, I went on Amazon and sure enough, there weren't a lot of listings for narwhal themed items, but the keywords were out of this world. So mm -hmm. I started printing narwhal themed birthday party supplies. Super easy to find birthday party supply vendors. So paper plates with narwhals, um, balloons with narwhals, uh, picnic table covers with narwhals. And I was the first one to launch narwhal themed birthday supplies. And for about nine months, I was all to myself until people figured out what I was doing and caught on. But I would have never known that narwhal was going to be a hot item unless mm -hmm. I looked at what someone else was doing, used their research, and was told basically like, this is hot. And then I was able to confirm it with the keyword data. Now online, I love going to places like Pinterest, Etsy. I like going to social curation sites. I like sites like fancy.com. You mm -hmm. can go to fancy and it's literally a site of just trending items. Um, even on Reddit, there are a lot of subreddits where people just brag about cool products. There's one called shut up and take my money where literally <laughs> it's just people going, Oh my gosh, this is so cool. Now, a lot of it's like weird chintzy stuff or very expensive mm -hmm. stuff, but occasionally you get an idea and go, well, like, why do I continue to see products on here that are similar? So back in about 2017, me and another business partner happened on this egg and chicken niche. Because all these yuppies in the U.S. are putting chickens in their backyard in their neighborhoods. Right. Right. So we started selling coop supplies, egg trays, egg cloches, all this stuff. If you watch Project X from um, uh, with Helium 10 that I did, we did a wooden egg tray. 
right? Mm -hmm. Because at the time, all of that stuff was trending really, really high. But I would have never known that if I wasn't looking off Amazon and seeing just consistent, consistent indicators of like, hey, this niche is trending or something like that. Yeah. Um, I also love going to places like subscription box services. Mm -hmm. If you go to CrateJoy.com, C-R-A-T-E-J-O-Y, it's a marketplace for subscription boxes and start stocking all those subscription boxes. The big ones literally are spending no telling how much money on product research to figure out what trending products to put in their box. Yeah. So look at their boxes, see what they put in it. You know, that's a trending item, mm. right? It's a fairly simple concept, but the hard part is then taking that indication or those clues and then transferring them to actually validate on Amazon. So that's when you have to take the product idea, find the keyword that relates to it, check mm -hmm. keyword demand, or keyword search volume versus competitive product demand. And then you start to find those products that uh, people are looking for and they're just not there yet. So I, well, that's, that's, I mean, thank you for all that insight. Super helpful in terms of where you get the inspiration from. So you've gone from putting the product in your, in your notebook there, you've got the inspiration and then you're checking keywords. And you said, um, uh, I think it was about the, the, the ladders, that the keywords were out of this world, right? Um, and you talk about checking keyword search volume. How do people do that? How do you how do you actually check keyword search volume? Is there software that I need? Is there a website that I go to? What's 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 the plan there? Yeah, so there are there are software tools. There's a lot of them out there. Um, right now, I'm getting really interested in seller tools, seller tools that mm -hmm. I basically can use that software. I can type in a specific keyword. And it will tell me how many people essentially monthly search that keyword as well as related keywords. So if I don't know what something's called, right? I'm, I've got my podcast microphone here. Well, I know yeah. this is called a podcast microphone. But mm -hmm. if I type in that keyword to one of these tools, it's going to say X amount of people a month are searching for a podcast microphone. But they're also searching these other keywords. And some of them are very specific and some of them are more broad. So it might be podcast accessories or audio accessories. But I'll also see that it's not just a podcast microphone. It's a microphone for podcasts. It's a Blue Snowball uh, podcast microphone. Blue mm -hmm. Snowball microphone. Microphone for podcasting. USB mm -hmm. microphone for podcasting, right? <laughs> yeah. So every one of those search terms that directly describe this product is all real estate that I can occupy. Mm -hmm. So again, you're not selling a product, you're selling a keyword. So if I can find 15 keywords that specifically talk about this product or describe this product that are highly relevant, now I've got 15 opportunities to sell because there's 15 search results, 15 pages, 15 clicks that I'm bidding on, right? Mm -hmm. So that software helps me figure out what all of that is. And so that was, sorry, seller.tools. Yep. Um, and are there any other pieces of software that people should check out or is it just focus on that one for now? Um, man, there's a ton. I, I think that when it comes to product research, I think that's a really good place to start. Mm -hmm. um, there is a cool tool that I like specifically for sorting searches on Etsy, which is cool because Etsy is usually about a year ahead on some products than Amazon as mm -hmm. far as trends. And it's called Marmalade. Okay. Marmalade is a pretty cool tool that not many people talk about. And I don't sell on Etsy, but I use Marmalade to search on Etsy for trending items that I would then correlate over to Amazon and see if it's in demand over there. That's interesting. I've not heard of Marmalade, so I'm, I'm definitely going to check that one out. I'm, uh, I'm curious to see that one there. I don't sell on Etsy either, um, at least not yet. Um, so I'll go check it out. But uh, so that's Marmalade. So you, you're checking, you're looking for these different search. Are you predominantly searching on Amazon, uh, the, the search volumes? Or are you looking at Amazon? Are you looking at Google? Um, now, if if I'm going to sell it on Amazon, I'm, I'm looking on Amazon. Okay. Now, I will also like to verify that this demand is increasing across all of the interweb, so to speak. So I will also go to like Google Trends mm -hmm. and Google Trends doesn't give me a specific search volume. But if I see that historical search volume for a keyword has increased mm -hmm. on Amazon, I like to see that it's also increased on Google. Yeah. Right. Because sometimes there's a weird fluctuation of the software reads something differently or something like that. So and the, to be honest with you, there's real no there's really no indication of what a perfect product is. Mm -hmm. Right. There's no piece of software that says, yes, this product will make you money or yes, this is not competitive or yes, this has search volume. Um, there are tools that have tried to do that and it's all junk. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about pieces of evidence, like so I like to see that the Google trend is the same as the Amazon search volume trend, but it's mm -hmm. not a make or break deal for me. Um, I came up with this this hypothesis um, 
that is related to a medical condition that my wife has called Marfan syndrome. Have you ever heard of this? No. So Marfan syndrome, the most, the two most prominent people with Marfan syndrome are Abraham Lincoln and mm -hmm. Michael Phelps, the Olympic swimmer. Okay. And Marfan syndrome is a connective tissue disorder. So the reason that people need to know if they have Marfan syndrome is it could affect their aorta. So every few years you need to go get an echocardiogram to make sure your mm -hmm. aorta is not to, not about to, to rupture. And Marfan syndrome is not a disease and it's not actually able to be diagnosed. Okay. So hear me out. So when my wife was having problems with her joints, her knees would come out of socket, her shoulders would come out of socket and we didn't understand why, right? They would just dislocate very easily. Mm. She eventually talked to a specialist and said, let's find out if you have Marfan syndrome, because Marfan syndrome would explain why your connective, why your joints are coming out. So there's connective tissue weakness. And if there is, we also need to start monitoring your heart health, your cardiac health. Yeah. She said, okay. So she went to a specialist that specializes in this syndrome. And at the end of this big diagnosis, they were not able to tell her if she had Marfan syndrome or not, but they were able to say, we believe you do. So we're going to treat you as if you do. So Marfan syndrome, it is not tracked through DNA markers. It's not a mm -hmm. blood test. It's there's nothing that actually diagnoses it except for a series of indicators. So when the doctor meets with you, they have a list of like 200 potential things with your body. Mm -hmm. So one of them, for example, is that your wingspan tip to tip fingers is longer than your height. Okay. Most people, that's not the case. My wife yeah. is two inches wider than she is tall and she's okay. like five foot nine. She's a tall woman. Mm -hmm. So like Michael Phelps has ridiculously long arms. That would explain so why he swims so well. Yeah. Yeah. So what they do is they go through this, this check, this list of check boxes. And at the end, they will say, okay, based on 200 data points, we believe with reasonable certainty that you have Marfan syndrome. So we're going to treat you as if you have Marfan syndrome. Mm -hmm. We can't diagnose you for sure. There's no DNA marker. There's no blood test. There's nothing. But mm -hmm. because you hit this many indicators, we're going to proceed as if you have Marfan syndrome. Yep. Picking the right product to sell on Amazon or online is the exact same. There right. is no perfect diagnosis. There's no piece of software that will spit out a result and say, if you start selling this product, you will make money and you'll be happy. So what we do is we look at as many check boxes as we can. And we look at as many pieces of evidence and we try to build up enough of an argument to where at the end of this research, we can say, we don't know for sure, but I'm pretty dang confident that this is going to work. Mm -hmm. So going back to like the Google trends, it's not a make it or break it for me. Right. But if the Google trends, um, like growth, you know, line matches the Amazon one, that's just another indicator. This is looking good. Yeah. Right. I also do things like I go to Alibaba. If I find a product that's trending on social media is not really selling on Amazon, but I think that, I think it's just, there's not a good offer. I'll take those same keywords and type them into Alibaba because Alibaba's search engine is exactly like Amazon and Google. Mm -hmm. And Alibaba sellers are just like Amazon sellers. If yeah. we as Amazon sellers see a ton of people requesting a fidget spinner, a bunch of us are going to start selling fidget spinners, right? So when Amazon sellers or e-commerce sellers are doing this research, maybe I found a product. There's one that, that I actually walked away from right before it got too competitive called a burrito blanket. It's a blanket that looks and shaped like a burrito. It's or like a tortilla. It was a dumbest I need one of those for my daughter. Yeah. 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 You've got it. one for your daughter, you said? No, no, I, I need to get one. She'd yeah. love it. Tortilla yeah. blanket. So they were blowing up all over social media. The search volume was ridiculously high on Amazon, but nobody was really selling them. So I went to Alibaba and I typed burrito blanket. And there was like 200 search results of the exact same thing from different vendors. So what that told me, is that so many people that identified the niche or the product, they were then going to Alibaba and typing it in, looking for a supplier. Mm -hmm. And Alibaba has tools that track search volume too. So it meant that so many people were going to Alibaba to search for a burrito blanket, that all these vendors started selling burrito blankets. And that was an indicator to me that, hey, this is probably about to be real competitive. Because mm -hmm. I couldn't see that maybe 50 people already had containers full of these things on the water. Yeah. Sure enough, three months later, there's 90 listings of burrito blankets on Amazon. So right. did the Amazon results prove to me it was a bad idea? No, but it was one indicator that I could start beginning to reasonably deduce a mm. specific outcome, right? So there's no guaranteed yes or no. You just look as many pieces of data as you can and try to find that Marfan product. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. So some of, for, some of these key indicators for you are 
obviously the search volume uh, that you mentioned, you're checking demand, you're looking at Google Trends, you're looking across social media platforms, you're looking at um, sites like Alibaba to see what's going on there, trying to figure out, are there already 50 containers of this on the seas sailing to San Francisco? Um, what is what are some of the other markers or are they sort of the main ones that you look at? Uh, those are kind of the first ones. There's other markers like human interaction. So I can go in and if I'm thinking about launching a product that I'm not familiar with and I'm not sure people actually want it, I can get into niche Facebook groups and not spam, but just sneak into these groups and say, hey, has anybody ever seen one of these? I think this is cool and mm -hmm. get reactions. Or I can use a tool like PicFu and ask what people want. So if I found a niche opportunity for a wooden version of something else. Let's say there's a toy that's plastic and it looks like people are looking for a Montessori version that's wood. Mm -hmm. I can go to a place like PicFu and show a plastic version, just snip a shot from another Amazon listing, have a wooden version that I've stolen a picture from Pinterest, put them side by side and say, if the plastic version was $10 and the wooden version was 30, which would you be more likely to buy? And mm -hmm. I can run that PicFu poll. And if everybody says, no way I'd pay 30 for a wooden version, then I kind of have an answer. Yeah. Right. So I can, I can do human testing that way. Um, some of the other things I do is I also check for, um, seasonality. So there are a lot of products that are very seasonal, yeah. meaning I'll see search volume that spikes up really, really high, but there's only a few listings and I can go back to those listings and check historical BSR data to figure out, is it consistently seasonal? So is this an item that sells really well in the spring? Cause I'll mm -hmm. see high search volume for like, strawberry baskets for one month out of the year. It's strawberry harvesting season where everybody buys a basket and dresses their little kids up in cute little outfits mm -hmm. and goes to the strawberry patch and picks strawberries. Right. So I have to be careful about seasonality because I could look yeah. at search volume. See, there's only two sellers, of strawberry baskets, 50,000 people want searching for it, but then the rest of the year I'm stuck with them. Yeah. Right. So I also check seasonal um, kind of historical data. Um, I will also go through and make sure that there's no patents because sometimes I'll find an incredible product. There's only one seller. Everybody's looking for this item. And then I can find out, oh, it's actually patented. An example of that is what's called a bug assault, B-U-G hyphen A hyphen S-A-L-T. It's a gun, like a toy gun that shoots salt. And what it's used for is like shooting flies. So instead of walking <laughs> around the fly swatter, this little gun with a spring, spring loaded mechanism shoots out little grains of table salt. No so way. like if you have flies in your house, you put your 10 year old kid to, to battle with these things. And he walks around shooting flies with salt and it stuns the flies and you throw them outside, right? <laughs> well, it was like blowing up through the roof and I saw all these keywords for like salt gun. What yeah. the heck is a salt gun? People didn't know the brand name. And there are products that are in like the hardware niche that literally are like um, paint sprayers, uh, or I'm sorry, they're like, they're, they go on the end of your water hose and it mixes with a desalination, a desalinity, and you spray it on your boat, right? Okay. There's all this stuff. But what I figured out was like people were actually looking for that salt gun. And then I mm -hmm. went to Google patents and looked for buggy salt and realized that there was uh, all sorts of utility patents and all sorts of, um, you know, uh, design patents. But if I went to Alibaba, there was 50 knockoff versions. And if I didn't know to look at the patents, I might've bought one of the knockoff versions and tried it, mm. you know, cause they're just knockoffs that would have sold like crazy, but I had to mm -hmm. check there was a patent. Right. So just lots of little things you look at. It's a list of like probably 50 things. And at the end, you just go, I think this will work or I don't think it will. Yeah. 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 And I take it your, um, your list of finding products is evolving all the time, isn't it? Oh, because yeah. everything's changing, the markets are moving. Yeah. And, um, and this is, I guess, why you're constantly going to trade shows, right? Because you're actually physically seeing things is quite a helpful thing. Yeah. And not thing just to do. physically seeing things, but physically seeing trends. And yeah. listening to what people say, there's an example. Let's see if I have it. I don't have it here, but I went to a fashion show a few years ago in Vegas and I don't, uh, this may shock some listeners if you know me, but I'm not a very fashionable guy. I'm not very trendy. I'm in gym shorts, like sneakers and a t-shirt. That's how I go to work every day. But I'm walking through this trade show that's showing off high end designer women's accessories and purses. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about women's purses, but I did notice that my eye kept being caught by this unique texture on these purses. And like a lot of these vendors had like their prime showpiece at the very corner, this purse. And I, I would walk up and touch it and realize this wasn't leather. Mm. So I started asking, what's this material? They said, oh, it's cork. So cork apparently is a vegan leather alternative. Mm -hmm. And it's tougher than leather. 
it's, you know, sustainable. You don't have to kill a cow to get it. Mm -hmm. And all of these very high fashion brands were seeing a demand for vegan leather options. It still feels like leather and it looks kind of like yeah. leather. It's, it's beautiful to replace leather and accessories. So of course I went to Amazon. There was nothing. There were no cork accessories, nothing, but there were people looking for it. There mm -hmm. was a keyword at the time that people were looking for cork bow tie for men. There was not a single one on Amazon, never had been a listing on Amazon, but off of Amazon, a place like Pinterest, it was like a big trend. Like guys would get these mm. cork bow ties. So I was the first guy to launch a cork bow tie. And it was like no PPC. I'd I'd list it. I'd like I got the first 500 units from India. And it's like within three weeks, I'm sold out at like $40. And my cost was probably $5 landed and no PPC. It just blew. Right. So then I started selling cork um, passport holders and cork belts and cork uh, clutches for women and makeup bags for women and all this stuff. Right. I eventually ended up selling that brand. But if I hadn't gone to a trade show and seen this crazy mm. material and said, what is this? And then what's crazy is those vendors openly tell you everything. They don't see, mm. they're trying to sell their products. So they're telling you yeah. that. Yeah, we saw it. Paris Fashion Week. This was a, a big thing. And right now we're seeing a big demand all over Google and we're running Google ads for vegan leather alternatives or vegan leather or leather alternatives. Like they literally just told me everything you know. And I walked out of there and like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> and went back and confirmed people were looking for it on Amazon. I was the first guy on Amazon. That is fascinating. But you, here's the thing, right? You, uh, all your stories so far, are you putting things on Amazon? You're not putting them on a, on what I would call an e-commerce site. In, in, as in, you're not buying timsveganpurses.com and, and doing that. Or are you? Or is it just literally you're focusing on Amazon with this sort of yeah, strategy? It, it varies. That's like asking how long a piece of string is, right? It always varies. There are some products that just suck on Amazon. There's mm -hmm. some products that have to be direct to consumer or they're better on Walmart than Amazon. Generally, I talk about Amazon a lot because I think that Amazon is typically the best way to get started in e-commerce. And mm -hmm. if you're an existing brand, it's additional sales. I tell, you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm kind of big in the Amazon space, but I tell people all the time, stop being Amazon sellers. Stop. Mm -hmm. I was at a conference in New York. There was 500 people in this room and in New York and Brooklyn in this zip code that I was in this neighborhood. That zip code represents like three and a half percent of all third party sales on Amazon, like billions of dollars just in that room. And I said, stop okay. being an Amazon seller. And everybody looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, be a product seller that sells on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Right. So Amazon is a tool. Amazon is a great tool. If you're bootstrapping it and just getting started and trying to figure out how to do this wild, crazy thing, Amazon has a lot of the uh, resources and infrastructure that's good. Um, Amazon is pretty competitive. So for some products, it'll never work. Um, some people need to start on Etsy or some people need to start on Zulily or some people just need to start with a website. One of the mm -hmm. coolest products that I've seen in the past couple of years, a product called wet sleeve W E T S L E E V E. It's a patented mm -hmm. product. It's a water bottle for active people that slides on your forearm. So if you're skateboarding and it's got one of those little like bite valves, little nipples, like a camelback would have, okay. but you don't yeah, have yeah. a big heavy backpack. It's just in your arm. Mm -hmm. So rock climbers are using it skateboarders, mm. surfers, and you just bite on your arm and suck the water out. It's a really cool product, but it was a disaster on Amazon because nobody knew to look for it. There was zero mm. keywords for it. So we were trying to sell it as a running water bottle or water bottle for running, right? But when people go looking for a water bottle for running, they're looking for like a, like a waste pack that has water bottles, not that thing. Yeah, yeah. So on Amazon, there was just not enough demand for it. And it was too specific and it was hard to cross sell. So that is like a direct consumer product. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's not like a one size fits all, but I do, I would say that generally speaking, Amazon continues to be the most frequent pathway to success for launching e-commerce products or for adding additional scalability and sales to existing brands that are sold elsewhere online. Mm. That's a very, that's a fair point. Uh, it is a fair point. And I, um, I have definitely no argument with that. Uh, I'm, I'm just really curious to understand how you, um, how, how do you decide, you know, you've got this product over here, you're going to sell that on Amazon. How do you decide if you're going to then run that on a website as well um, and go direct to consumer? Or is there a thought process behind that? Or is it just a, 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 an intuition that you have? Yeah, it's a little bit of an intuition. You know, there's some products that are just going to sell on Amazon and there's no point in taking them off of there. I sold a woman's shoe accessory, a boot shoe tree. 
this long thing that fits in tall boots. These women have these like tall, like knee high yeah. leather boots or calf high leather mm-hmm. boots. And when you put them in your closet, they fall over and it creases the leather. It's just these plastic inserts that just hold them upright. Mm-hmm. Stupidest thing I've ever seen. But man, I sold a lot of those. And they was like, I could buy those from China, put my label on them. They were 90 cents landed at FBA for a pair. Mm-hmm. I was selling for like $19.99 for wow. years. And a lot of them. Like I could barely mm-hmm. keep those things in stock. Containers and containers of these things. Well, I didn't have any other women's shoe accessories to sell, right? So like if I built a website for that, it would be almost pointless because yeah, I could drive mm-hmm. traffic to there from Google, but the real value of an independent website is to build that audience to increase mm-hmm. lifetime value. So in my opinion, setting up a website for one ancillary product doesn't make much sense because then you can't cross sell. I can maybe sell them more of those, but honestly, they're just gonna, if they want them, they're just going to come back to Amazon and buy them again, mm-hmm. right? So the product, the brand, the community, the niche, all that's going to depend if I go D to C or not. Typically speaking, if I can go wide but not deep on Amazon, meaning just a bunch of random products, and then they will eventually show up as brands. Like I'll wake up one day. I had a, a, pro, a line of products that was cigar and like pipe smoking accessories. Really cool, bougie, kind of millennial, lots of leather, wood, rustic stuff. I had one, then I had another, then I had another. And one day I woke up and I had like seven products. Oh, well, crap. I actually have a catalog of products now that are related. And then we went and did like really expensive photo shoots and set up a website and we started reaching out and eventually got those into subscription boxes too. Mm-hmm. Right. So I typically wait until I have a cross sell off. Op- either I wait till I have a cross sell opportunity where mm-hmm. it makes sense to acquire that audience because I can raise the LTV of each purchase by cross selling and reselling and adding the list, or it has to be a product that just will not work on Amazon but I'm pretty sure that I can drive like paid traffic to it. You know, yeah. if I can run these crazy Google ads or TikTok influencer campaigns and drive to a website where I might have a one product purchase funnel. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So if you are, um, uh, if you are talking to someone who's listening to the show, who's going, that's great. I'm going to go ahead and do some research, but I, I don't really have any experience in selling on Amazon. Where would they, where would they go to learn that? Are there courses that you would recommend? Are there websites that you would recommend people head to? Ooh, that's a tough, that's a dangerous question to ask. If people want to learn to sell on Amazon, where do they go? Um, and mm-hmm. I'll say it's a tough question for a few reasons. One is there are a lot of different ways to sell on Amazon. There are arbitrage sellers. There are wholesale sellers. There are um, private label sellers that that are essentially finding something, putting their sticker on it, selling it. There's also large brands that want to then convert to selling on Amazon. And every method is different. Every product mm-hmm. is different. Every uh, amount of resources that you have, if you want to do this, will change the way in which you're going to sell, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot. I will also say that you have to be very careful going to a place like YouTube, because typically the top trending videos of how to sell on Amazon on YouTube are affiliate sellers. And they're selling a get rich quick scheme, which I don't believe in. They're blowing mm-hmm. you up with hype to buy this expensive course, this expensive software bundle that maybe not isn't is actually not very good information. So I'll throw a few resources to you, a few ideas. Mm-hmm. One is check out Project X by Helium 10 on YouTube. So if you go mm-hmm. to YouTube and you type in Helium 10 Project X, it's a case study that I did where I talk a lot about this stuff and we actually showed it live in person, completely free, mm-hmm. no sales pitch there, no upsell. Also, there is um, my own Facebook, I'm sorry, YouTube channel, which is private label Legion. If you just search Tim Jordan, private label Legion, again, we don't sell anything on it. It's just a bunch of, a uh, bunch of content. You can also join our Facebook group, private label Legion, Facebook group, where it's not a huge group. We probably kick out two thirds of the people that request to be in it. It's just, uh, but it's like got an 85% engagement rate. So it's heavily moderated. Mm-hmm. Also, you can check out carbon six. So carbon six.io. They are a group of software companies, or it is it is like an aggregator software companies that is building a ridiculously huge education program right now. So if you go to Carbon6.io, just sign up for the newsletter. And maybe if you're listening to this a couple months from now, it's, it's already launched. But they're mm-hmm. building out a ridiculously impressive and free educational platform for people that want to sell in different styles of Amazon, whether it's the merch or wholesale or private label. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. So project, um, so the project that you did with Helium 10, Project X, mm-hmm. um, uh, just tell folks what Helium 10 is just so they, just in case they don't know. Yeah, Helium 10 is one of those other software tools. So basically to, to explain how to sell on Amazon for them is important because they're you know, trying to sell their software, which is one of the research tools too. Um, so Project X was literally a case study where 
I worked with them and sat down with kind of their lead educator and I taught him along the way this kind of different method. And of course, we use software to to prove things and validate things and back things up, you know, to test the waters at the bottom of the cliff, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And that's all uh, online and you can check those out or join the Facebook groups uh, uh, that, um, that, that Tim does. Why not? Um, and Tim, are they, if people want to reach out to you and connect you, is that the best way to do that? Or are there other channels as well? That Because yeah, I'm sure on there's... LinkedIn is the best place. Um, okay. LinkedIn, I put a lot of content on there. I put a lot of free resources and things like that, direct people into the larger community. Um, you can also just follow me on Facebook. I post e-commerce stuff there all the time. Um, I'll be honest, I'm slow about private messages. So if anybody private messages me and says, hey, Tim, can you give me free advice? Um, my VA will probably <laughs> ignore that. But if you go into the Facebook group, the Private Label Legion Facebook group, and you ask questions there, you ask for input, you want advice, mm -hmm. the members are really active in there, as well as uh, our moderators kind of push those uh, piece of information back up to me, and we usually get answers, you know, pretty quickly. I just don't have time to sit on Facebook all day, unfortunately. Yeah, I, uh, gratefully, I think it's better. <laughs> there's so. definitely better things you can do with your time. Uh, but Tim, listen, it's been great having you on the show. I'm sure many people have got a lot more questions. Um, and so do reach out to Tim uh, if you would like to get a hold of him uh, via all the methods that he mentioned. And we will, of course, link to all of those, all the bits of software, all the videos and all that sort of stuff Tim's mentioned. We will put all of those links in the show notes, which you can get access to. Just head on over to the website, ecommercepodcast.net, search for Tim Jordan, uh, and it will come up and uh, you'll be able to get all of that as well. So, Tim. Listen, but uh, I really enjoyed being on your show. I genuinely did. Um, but I've enjoyed you being on mine more. So um, thank you for joining us. And uh, thank you for answering all my questions. Uh, it's been absolutely fascinating to talk to you. And um, yeah, I, I, hope, uh, I, hope, I hope to have you back soon to hear about your recent product ventures. Yep. Just, just send me an email. We'll jump back on. Oh, you're a legend. Thanks, Tim. All right. Take care. So there you have it. Yet another fantastic conversation right here on the e-commerce podcast. Huge, huge thanks to Tim. Love that conversation. He's he's an absolute legend, that fella. Uh, and make sure you follow him on Instagram as well and keep up with all his happenings. I've been been uh, following along on Instagram. He <laughs> The man travels, let me tell you. So uh, do follow him and find out what's going on. Uh, don't forget to check out our complete back catalogue online. Just head over to our newly revamped website, ecommercepodcast.net. Let me know what you think about the website as well. Would love to know what you think about the website. What's missing, what could be improved, etc., etc. Now, make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast from because... As always, we've got yet more great conversations lined up and you're not going to want to miss any of them. You genuinely aren't. So do subscribe and all of that good stuff. And in case no one's told you yet today, you, my friend, are awesome. <laughs>